Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello, Decode Your Burnout fans, and welcome to another episode with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. And we are doing a really special series for you guys on the thinker, the feeler, and the doer. And my co-host for this venture is somebody who you've been introduced to before, but as a reminder, her name is Heather Tully Bauer. She is a stand-up comedian and a funny woman. She stands for a lot of things, so I probably didn't do really justice to your biography. <laughs> That's okay. But, but I think they'll get to know you, Heather, as we roll through this. I agree. I agree. 100%. Yeah. Now, just a little bit of background. So when I was starting this whole venture with Decoder Burnout, I really wanted to turn burnout presentations into something that is both engaging and humorous. And I approached Heather and asked her if she would help me kind of inject some humor into this topic. So long story short, we have put together a presentation and we've been working together for over a year now on this. And we thought it would be a good idea to just have a deep dive into the thinker today. So that's essentially what we're going to be doing. And if you are a thinker, and you don't know it, you will by the end of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> and then some. And then, yes, you're going to learn all kinds of things about all kinds of things in this episode. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. And, oh, my gosh. And, I feel like I'm in the hot seat, Sharon. Well, you know, you kind of are. But at the same <laughs> time, you're going to wear the hat of co-host today, not okay. just of a guest. So here's the thing. The other thing, other than just talking about the thinker and maybe being like big picture about it, Heather actually fits the profile of a thinker. So you get to actually hear somebody through this and how they think, right? We're going to dissect her brain a little bit and see what comes out. <laughs> how does the thinker think? I don't think that people would think that a stand-up comedian is a thinker. After knowing you for a year, Sharon, I definitely know I'm a thinker for sure. I would definitely think stand-up comedians are thinkers because they have to microanalyze everything that they say and whether it's funny and what people laugh at. And so they're constantly scrutinizing. Now that doesn't mean they're going to burn out, but that's just how their brain works. So for me, that's actually not a big surprise. Well, okay. We'll talk about that because there are some things about, I don't think fits the stand-up comedian profile, but as you know, I was a lot of things before I was a stand-up comedian. So I think I brought thinker into the comedy space, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Well, actually, that would be a good place to start. Why don't you tell us where you did start out with your career? And then we can see if it fit even back then or if you transitioned into being a thinker. 
Okay. So my whole life, I've been very detail oriented. I have been a planner. So that sort of just then meant I was drawn to a career in public relations and I was public relations executive for a major company back in the day. And when my husband and our son and I moved uh, to the Atlanta area, which is where we are now, I wasn't doing anything and sort of fell into stand-up comedy and I've stayed with it for almost nine years. So I'm a business communications expert, you know, by training and by trade. And that's kind of where my passion lies and then turn that into stand-up comedy. And so I bring detail-oriented planning, thinking, overanalyzing stuff to my day job and to my nut job. I'm just sort of wired that way. Okay. So I was waiting for you to try to convince me that you're not a thinker. No, I am totally a thinker. Matter <laughs> of fact, one time I got a fortune cookie that said your attention to detail is both a blessing and a curse. Okay. If we were to have a fortune cookie for the thinker, that is it. That's it, right? That is it. Yes. Because, you know, none of these things are really quote unquote, bad in and of themselves, right? Like that's your superpower. The fact that you're able to pay attention to details that you're able to plan. It's when you overthink things that you're putting additional pressure on yourself and it becomes like this chronic stress that builds and builds and then you become burned out as a result. But that's not right. the only thing that leads to burnout for thinkers. It's not just kind of too detail oriented, right? No, no. For me, it's definitely the overthinking. It's the not being able to turn my brain off. I think there's a diagnosis for it. You tell me it's like vigilant thinking. There's medication for it, apparently. But you know, where I'm, I think and I think and I think and I think, right? And can't necessarily turn my brain off, especially when it's time to go night night. And I think that's probably like if somebody were like me as a thinker, we're going to have burnout. It's going to be from two places. This is me talking as a stand up comedian. You tell me. One, and a chronic thinker. One is it's exhausting to always have your brain going, right? Yep. Two, you want to know what stresses me out? People who can't make up their freaking mind. <laughs> People who can't make a plan or make a decision. <laughs> okay, so that's actually super interesting. What we see is that the thinkers, when they're in burnout, exactly end up in that place where they can't make a decision, where they're kind of hemming and hawing and they're stuck, right? They're kind of in that paralysis by analysis. But what you're saying is what perhaps gets you to burnout is because you're a detail-oriented person, because you're somebody who plans, because you're somebody who likes to kind of make decisions and what have you, that when other people aren't able to do that, that's a stressor. So that's super interesting. And I think we can think about that for each of our three types, you know, of like, what is your superpower when you're not burned out, which right. becomes, you know, your kryptonite when you are burned out. And what is it about other people who maybe are like that when you're in your superpower that becomes stressful to you and leads you to burnout? It kind of reminds me of that saying about, you know, the person that you marry, it's like the thing that you loved about them eventually is going to be the thing that annoys you. You know, I feel like that's what we're talking about right now. It's like, I am such like in my household and in my friend group, like just last night, last night I met up with a good friend of mine and uh, we've been trying to get together for a long time. And so she reached out to me and she said, Hey, you want to get, you know, let's get together soon. And I was like, great. How about Thursday? And she's like, great. Thursday's great. Where do you want to go? 
And now I have to decide, right? And then now I have to use brain power on deciding where we're going to go. So now I'm responsible for the where we're going to go. And then I say, I pick a place. And she says, great, what time? Like, am I making all the decisions? <laughs> yeah, there are people who just let you kind of take over. And then on the well, flip I side. Think because I think, do you tell me what you think about this? I think number one, it's people know I'm a pretty decisive person, if you know me. So they don't think twice about it. But two, I think that it depends on how people come into that conversation and what they are. And yes. if they're one of the other types, they don't want to disappoint somebody. They don't want to say, well, why don't we go here if this place is something that I don't want to do? Now, what they don't know is if I don't want to go there, I'm just going to tell them. I mean, they should know that. I feel like, you know, don't listen, people don't think that the thinker always wants to think. <laughs> well, you bring up a really good point, because if that person is a people pleaser, aka a feeler, they may be overthinking whether if they make the decision and you don't like the place that they pick, that you'll be disappointed. So in some ways, right. you know, the overthinking things can also be something that the feeler does, you know, we don't really talk about that much, but it's in the context of people pleasing, right. As opposed right. to in yeah. the context of like having control and getting the thing right. I think the thing that differentiates the thinker is that they're really focused on quality. Right. And that's where like perfectionism comes in, right. imposter syndrome comes in. It's like, I don't want to disappoint. I want to get this right. There's a right way. There's a wrong way. And it tends to be very black and white ways of looking at things. For sure. And and that's where sometimes they overthink things, right? Like you said, you're very detail oriented and you're a planner. If you're not in overthinking mode, you're just thinking about what it is. You make quick decisions, you move on. And that's kind of like you when you're in your superpower. Versus like when you're burned out, all of a sudden it's like the brain that I couldn't turn off all this time is now just like so exhausting that I can't even think straight. Yeah, that's for sure. I definitely feel that. There was something I was going to say about that too. What was it? I was going to say something about that, Sharon. You made me think of something. What did you say? Um, well, you know, oh, oh, no, I know. I know what it was. Yes. And that's how I know I'm a thinker. I know I'm a thinker because I don't take myself seriously vis-a-vis. -vis, I don't really care what people think about me, but I take what I do seriously. So mm. the outcome, the product, the quality, super important to me, way more important to me than the quantity. Mm. You know what I mean? I work really hard on what I do. And if I have a client or somebody who just doesn't like the product, that sits with me. If somebody doesn't like me, the person, I don't care. Mm. Okay. So yeah. So we're coming back to this idea of the importance of quality. At what point, if you were to help us kind of figure out at what point does it become too much? Like how can we be a thinker where we're in our superpower and we're not crossing the line into overthinking and burnout? I'm looking at all the things that you said, because I've been taking notes. You said you're detail-oriented, you're a planner, you like to make decisions and you like other people to make decisions. Right. So here's where it kind of starts to break down. When you can't turn your brain off. So one question is what can help you turn your brain off or when do you lose the control over being able to turn your brain off? So that's one question. Also the vigilance, if it becomes mm. hyper-vigilant, then that's kind of a breakdown mode. 
And is there something that's been helpful to you to manage your own frustration of other people when they can't make decisions? Because I think one of the things that is stressful to us is when we have these rules about how other people should be in the world, because obviously that's something that we don't have control over. And I would say if there's one thing that the thinker really likes in this world is a sense of control, right? like to manage everything, to make sure everything is exactly to a T perfectly. And that gives you like, ah, like now I can relax because I got it done in the way that I needed to, or I made sure that whatever needs to happen, happen. Right. So what would you say about that? What can help turn your brain off? If you've had success with that, what can lead you to maybe hold the vigilance in place? So it doesn't become too much. And how do you manage that frustration about what other people don't do that maybe you want them to do? So actually, Sharon, knowing you for the past years really helped me with this. But turning my brain off, I really work on thinking about the big picture and not like hyper-focused on the thing, but like what's the worst thing that can happen if, you know, I know you like to play that game. (laughs) All right, Heather, what's the worst thing that can happen if they don't laugh at your jokes. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen if this client says it was great, but we were looking for something else or this potential client says, yeah, we're going to take a pass right now. Like what's the worst thing that can happen if, and that really helps me keep things in perspective. I will tell you too, the other thing that helps me keep things in perspective that has helped me to put me into balance. So I feel like I'm a more balanced thinker now honestly, was when I was diagnosed with cancer. Talk about a big picture, like big picture thinking, just making a decision that, I mean, this was seven years ago. I'm fine now. Nobody needs to start a GoFundMe for anything or anything. I'm good. But this was like a light bulb moment of there are more important things to spend my energy on than worrying about this, than overthinking this and whatever this, you know, quote unquote might be. And I mean, there are certain things that deserve my thoughtful analysis and consideration. I do have some analysis paralysis. I do sit in a a situation or a problem for a while before I get to what I feel like the answer is. So I used to be impulsive. I'm not impulsive anymore. There's both a blessing and a curse to that. I feel like that is sort of what has helped me kind of answer question one and two, just training my brain to just ask when I'm feeling myself getting anxious or getting, you know, being hypervigilant about something or spiraling on, or, you know, on something just saying, okay, time out, Heather, what's the worst thing that can happen if blank? Cause I'm a little bit of a catastrophizer. So that's kind of one and two. Number three, though, hit me with that question again. Number three is when other people yeah. can't make yeah. decisions or what do I do? First, or they either do something you don't want them to do, or they don't do the thing that you want them to do. Like your friend who can't make the decisions asking you to make all the decisions for her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So first I roll my eyes and, you know, complain about it. No. <laughs> First, I martyr myself. And then, no, you know what? I've been married for 23 years. You know this about me. You know, I think, again, my husband was very used to me making, you know, the decisions. Like every night it was, well, what do you want to do for dinner? 
What do you want to do for dinner? What do you want to do for dinner? And finally, I was like, you know what? I don't want to make that decision every single night. I don't want to be responsible for that. So I realized people didn't think anything of it. Heather makes decisions. She's a decision maker. She doesn't mind doing it. She's good at it. And they don't know that it was stressing me out. So I had to get to a place where I had to say, hey, you know what? I'm a little tapped out on the decision making. When it comes to my husband, you're an executive at a fortune, you know, 50 company. I think you can handle what's for dinner. Now, I didn't need to be snarky. Okay. Snarky is my love language, but it might not be his though. So, you know, he doesn't speak snarky, but he understands snarky. He doesn't speak it, but he understands it. He knows what I'm saying. He can decipher. And he doesn't take it personally either. But he's a thinker too, isn't he? He is a thinker. So that's yeah. kind of an interesting marriage, isn't it? Two a very, thinkers. very interesting marriage. A different yeah. kind of thinker than you. A different kind of thinker, but also, and we'll talk about this in later episodes. I have most everything in my life. I straddle two lines. Okay. I say it's because I was born on the cusp of Aries and Taurus. And so I straddle two lines. And so I do probably have more of one of the other types than he does. So I think then I might show up in kind of more of the other types to kind of balance us out. But, you know, we've been happily married for 23 years, so it works for us. But, you know, sometimes I get annoyed with them, you know, (laughs) just got to keep the snarkiness in check, I guess. Yeah, sometimes I'm like, that was a little snarky. Just to recap, communicating. Yes, that's what I hear. So I want to go back into the things that you said, because I think this is really key. So if somebody's listening to this and they're a thinker and maybe they can't turn their brain off either, you know, which is something that happens when we've got so much on our plate and we're in overwhelm city and, you know, it takes over. Now you're not able to sleep and you don't have any peace. Right. So what I loved about what you said is, you know, your superpower is that you're very detail oriented, but you can't stay in the details all the time. And so when you stay in the details all the time, sometimes the brain is just constantly processing and processing and thinking and analyzing. And so what you're saying is sometimes you've got to switch modes from details to big picture. And so that's tip number one. Tip number two is How do you utilize that? Well, when your brain is saying, well, but what if this happens and you get into catastrophe mode that you ask yourself, well, what is the worst possible thing? Right. And that's actually a strategy that I've used a lot with my clients, because what tends to happen when you're in that paralysis by analysis in that catastrophizing mode is that we ask these questions and we never answer them. Right. So we're constantly, well, but what if this happens? And what if that happens? And so we're getting ourselves all like hyped up. We're getting anxious because we're just focusing on the questions. And so one thing that I have my clients do is actually answer the question. Like, imagine you're seeing this is what we call the art of mental time travel, right? Like you're traveling to the future, you're seeing this thing unfold. What happens next? What happens next in this mind movie, right? what do you see happen now that you've lost your job? And, you know, and I've had a client who really took this to the next level where he was like, I'm going to be homeless and pandering on the streets with my children. And I'm like, 
you know, this is the guy who's got like over a million in savings in his account. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's like, it's going to be rooted in realism, right? I'm like, just because you lose your job tomorrow doesn't mean like you've lost your house. But like in our brain, that's what it equals, right? So I had him finish the movie and I literally gave him 60 seconds. I'm like, that's all you get to figure this out, right? Because we don't want to start overthinking it. It's just like, what does your gut tell you, right? You close your eyes, you see yourself pandering on the street with your children because you've lost your job what happens next and in like less than 60 seconds he was like I got it I'm like what what happened what'd you see and he said if I lost my job today tomorrow there would be seven people that I could call that would give me a job instantly yeah so I mean however because being a catastrophizer and I'm actually a much better about it but my son is worst case scenario. He's like, wah, 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 you know, all sad trombone, the whole thing. And yeah, you're right. That is, Sharon, that is, you always impress me. That is so smart. We have that thought and it panics us and we don't do the work to play it all the way out to realize that the thought isn't rooted in reality. It's a fear. And I think we all, you know, have those, oh my gosh, what if da, 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 this, this happened? And then, you know, but we don't often take the time to go, okay, well, I would figure it out. How would I figure it out? I would do one, two, and three, you know? And I just think that you took that guy from a, like a Mach 5, you know, <laughs> with his hair on fire, you know, to, oh, I have options because that's what it is. It's this yes. thinking that we don't have options. Feeling like you're stuck. Feeling Nobody that you're stuck like that. is very claustrophobic, right? And so one of the things that I've just learned to do, especially when it comes to you know, it was something you were saying, it made me think of a friend of mine who's lives down the street and she calls it fake fighting and she fake fights with people in her head, mm. things that she wishes she would have said, mm. like when you're in conflict with somebody and she's like, oh, I was so mad and I just didn't even think it. But now that I'm thinking about it, I wish I would have thought, I wish I would have said, you know, this made this point, made this point, made this point. And I think that if I'm going to overthink something, it's going to be in that space of what I wish I would have done. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten to a place where I have to just bless and release it. You know, I say that all the time. I just, yeah. you know what? I got to just bless and release it. And what does that mean? It means whatever I want it to mean. But, you know, for me, it means, okay, well, I can't change it what I learned from it. How am I going to do it differently? Do I need to make amends for something? Moving on, moving on. Yeah. And I think that's actually a really good technique for people with imposter syndrome specifically. And actually mm. to that point, perfectionists, right? Because it's like, if you're spending so much time and energy on this one detail, so we can say like, yeah, I mean, I think we could say pretty confidently that thinkers are detail oriented, right? That's the whole perfectionism bit that if you could just get to a point where you bless and release it, like I had a client who would spend so much time just reading and rereading every email she was about to send out to the company wide because she was the VP. She would literally read it over like seven times. I'm so afraid to press send. So afraid. Uh. So it's like, if you can say, okay, just bless and release, like, what is the worst case scenario here? Coming back to your point, right? And then I thought something else was really actually kind of catchy. We talked about 
transitioning from detail oriented to big picture. And then we talked about this mental movie. And so it's like, if you're at the movies, that is the big picture, right? You're kind of seeing the future. You're seeing yourself playing out like what could be your worst fears and then figuring out how to turn the narrative into what it is that you want or what is possible. And really like, you don't have to think, I think this is also really key, right? Is sometimes we're so in our heads that we're ignoring our gut. You know, it's like sometimes your gut tells you something and you ignore it because in your brain, there's another story going on and you're probably, you know, kicking yourself every time you do that. I know I did that a number of times where I didn't listen to my gut. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, you know, yeah. And you're like, I knew what the answer was. I just didn't trust it. Yeah. That happens to me too. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to recap so far, because I think we've got a lot of good nuggets here is that when you're over in overthinking mode, one thing that can help to turn your brain off is to go from details to the big picture. You can ask yourself the question, what's the worst thing that can happen and really answer that question so that you can stop spiraling. You also talked about that now after getting this cancer diagnosis, you are a more balanced thinker. And that's what we really want for the thinker. We don't want to say like being a thinker is bad. We just don't want you to get into burnout mode. And so how do we get into balance Mm -hmm. for the thinker? I think what you said is really smart, right? And it's actually really something that I want thinkers to think about, which is your perspective, right? Having Mm. that different perspective, because sometimes we get so lost in the weeds that we don't see what's going on, what's really important. Like, why are you so worried about this? Like, you know, I'm, I'm always somebody who likes to get to the root of things. And so, you know, I love how we got all these (laughs) gardening metaphors. We got weeds and roots and all this stuff, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, you've got to think about like, why do you care as much as you do? If you're trying to perfect something, why does it matter as much as it does? Usually I find there's some sort of a fear. Now, not all perfectionism is bad. And I want to actually outline that. I think that some perfectionism is actually called for. It's just when you kind of bring that to everything that you do, instead of like certain things that really require it, right? Like we all want a pilot who is a perfectionist because we don't want somebody to be like, yeah, you know, it's good enough. Right. Like, yeah, no. right. Right. Or like we want our doctors. We want yes. our, sur- trust me. I want my surgeon to yes. be <laughs> a perfectionist. Right. Because it's like, if they can do like the best job ever, then we're like, okay, it reduces the risk. Right. But if that pilot or that physician, then is applying that perfectionism in everything else in their lives, that's when they burn out for the rest of us, if it keeps us from being productive, if it keeps us from getting things done, then it has moved from superpower to super problem. Right. So if you're a perfectionist, the moral of the story is you want to prioritize your perfectionism, right? Prioritize what you're going to apply it to and then bless and release the rest. So that would be a tip that you left. I see merch. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. There are a lot of things here. Big picture, really getting perspective on things, prioritizing your perfectionism, bless and release and listen to your gut. Okay. And so can I ask you a question though? Yeah, absolutely. I think burning thinkers want to know they won't sleep tonight. If you don't answer this question, they'll be like ruminating on it all night long. Okay. So, you know, how would a thinker get 
to that place of balance without having to have a cancer diagnosis. Yeah, I don't think that that's what's required. If you practice what we just said about zooming out and thinking about what really matters in your life, like one of the things I talk about when it comes to stress is that stress means that you care about something. Right. If you're stressing out about doing a good job at work or about the birthday cake that you make for your son's, you know, fifth birthday party, it means that you care, right? You want to do a good job. And so you want to back it up and ask yourself, like, if I'm stressed out about this, what am I making it mean? Am I even thinking about that? Like zoom out to just get the perspective on what it means that you're getting into the weeds. And so you're pulling yourself back. And then from that place, you can ask yourself, like if, if I'm stressing out about the birthday cake, I might say to myself, well, the reason I'm stressing out is because I want my son to have the best birthday party. Why do I want that? Because I care about my son and I want him to have an amazing experience, right? And then I might ask myself, so is this it? Is the cake the thing that's going to make it memorable and like super fun for him? Or maybe like I can go spend some time with him right now and we can have fun or, you know, like what other options exist to get back to the mission that I have? Well, and also in that scenario, I mean, really the kid who is happy to play with the cardboard box rather than the, you know, rather than the thing that it's like, right. Defined by whom? Having amazing experience defined by you or defined by the person? (laughs) Right. So maybe instead of like getting so caught up in like the planning of the party and specifically maybe the cake or whatever it is, maybe go talk to your son about what do you want? What do you, what would make it fun for you? And chances are, they're going to say, I want to have all my friends there. That's pretty much it, you know, and the cake is like, the cherry on top, but like, it's not the central thing. Right. Right. So I'm not saying don't make an amazing cake, but if you're stressing out too much about it, then you want to pull yourself back and ask like, why am I doing this? Right. And what else can I do to fulfill this greater mission of mine, which is to make sure my son knows I love him or whatever it is. And it's the same at work, right? Like if you've got that imposter syndrome and you can't press send on that email, then ask yourself, why am I stressing out about this? And chances are you're going to probably identify either the thing that you care about, the thing that you fear the most, or some sort of limiting belief, right? And for that person, it might be because I'm worried that I'm going to have made a mistake and everyone is going to see it. And then you can ask yourself, well, then what? What will happen if you make a mistake in this email? Like you misspelled a word. Oh no, right? Like what will they think? In your mind, you're probably catastrophizing about how it's going to be like, you're going to lose your job because you've made an error in your email. This is the thing that people with imposter syndrome think is that they really don't deserve a seat at the table, but they somehow have fooled everybody. They've pulled the wool over everybody's eyes. And so they're in this VP position when they really don't know what they're doing. And this email, when I send it out and I make that error then everybody will know like the secret is out. And now then I'm going to lose the job, which I don't think I deserve to have. Right. And what is in truth happening in the world is that everybody, but you recognizes that you deserve that job. So if you're in that situation and you really have that imposter syndrome, maybe the bless and release technique is really appropriate for you because you're like, you know, maybe I'm thinking about this wrong. Maybe 
everybody else has it right. And I'm the one that has it wrong. Maybe I do belong here. And then I have to bless and release this fear or this limiting belief about myself and embrace being in this position because I've earned it. Yeah. It's funny that you should say that because today before you and I jumped on, and by the way, you say, you know, not saved my life, not, you know, but changed my life. When we started to meet, when we were first starting to work together, and I don't even remember what we were talking about. And you said, okay, Heather, but that's the story you tell yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that limiting belief. Right. And when you said it like that, I was like, oh my gosh, like, what if it's uh what are those stories where you pick the alternate ending? You know, yeah, what I, choose your own adventure, choose, choose your own adventure stories. Yeah. It was like, what if I thought about it like that? You know, yes. what if I thought about it? It, uh, oh, this is the story I tell myself. What happens if I change the story? Yes. You know, and yes. just being open to that and wanting to do that. But it's funny that you should say what you just said, because before we jumped on, I was working on, you know, what my post is going to be today. And my post today says, if one person says you're fabulous, maybe that's an opinion. If two people say you're fabulous, it's a fact. Believe them. So, you know, when I work with people, they do have a lot of stories. And a lot of time our stories don't work for us, right? And they're so subconscious that we've been telling ourselves the same stories for years, sometimes mm -hmm. for decades. So a lot of times we don't even recognize that it's there. It becomes our truth. And so I help people recognize that there's a difference between a thought and a fact. And the difference is a thought is something that your brain came up with, but there's maybe no evidence for it. So you have to really check it. A fact is something that if I said to you, you know, you've got, I know people can't, if they're just listening, they're not going to be able to see this, but uh, in the background, Heather's got this neon light that says you got this right now. If we had 10 people watching right now, they would all be able to see that you have that neon light that makes it a fact, right? Be because we can all agree that that's there right? It's not an opinion. So bottom line is when you've got all these things going through your head and they're stressing you out, one of the things that we're suggesting here is really check yourself and ask yourself, is this factual or is this just a story? And if it's just a story and it's not serving you, then you get to change the story. You get to choose your own adventure. Go donate that book to Goodwill. Get rid of it. <laughs> Get that book out of your house. Let's go. Let's pick up a different book, right? I love it. I love yeah. it. So Heather, being that you're a thinker, is there anything else that thinkers listening to this should know? There's help for the chronic thinker. No, I, no, I say that jokingly, but no, I'm super serious because back when I was a public relations executive, I had way more work coming in than I had the bandwidth to complete. And in a high stress corporate environment and a toxic environment, to be quite honest. And mm -hmm. it had its toll on me physically and emotionally, mentally. I mean, I definitely had my burnout moment so much so that I left, I quit my job mm -hmm. and I just couldn't find my way back to balance. And now I know that burnout was kind of a badge of honor back then. I mean, this was a long time ago and maybe it still is, but now I'm like, oh my gosh, you don't have to live in the space. You know, we don't have to glamorize the burnout. 
you know, burnout is not what we're trying to get to. <laughs> it's what we're trying to never get to. And what I've learned from hanging out with you for the past year or so, which is why I'm super excited about the thing that we're partnering on, is that you can come back from burnout and then you can prevent it from happening again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's my favorite so, thing. I think the idea here is that if you're listening to this and you've identified yourself as a thinker based on what you learned here today, as you heard, there's a lot of things that you can do to get back into balance. You don't have to stay in burnout. Uh, and that's really our goal. And once you know that these things work for you, then you can continue to do them and prevent burnout from happening again. That is our mission. This is why we do what we do. So on that note, Heather and I would love to invite you to invite us to your company, to your event, so that we can do our presentation on decoding burnout for all of your guests, for all of your attendees, make them laugh because, yes. you know, that's what happens kind of by default when you got a stand-up comedian <laughs> on the stage, make them think, of course, and have them leave with some amazing tips and strategies that can serve them well beyond the conference. Any final thoughts, Heather? No, just that I love us so much together because as we always say, you know, you're the ahas and I'm the ha-has and together we are moving the needle on burnout. So good. Thank you for joining me, Heather. And for all of you thinkers out there, I have to ask, as I always do, what did you think of the show? Now, we're not going to not ask for the other types. So I'm going to continue and ask if you're a feeler, how did hearing this make you feel? And for all of you doers, what are you going to do based on what you've heard? You know, the thing is that regardless of what your type is, you also want to know you have other people in your circle. You know that there are thinkers. If, even if you're a feeler or a doer, there are thinkers in your circle. So understanding them can help you as well in the same way that Heather talked about and communication comes into the mix. But regardless of what your personality code is, my goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience. And by decoding it, you can find solutions equally unique to you. Help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review telling us what you think feel or do differently because of the show. If you are watching us on YouTube, you can leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes. And please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout. If you are ready to take the next step with me to DYB, go to decodeyourburnout.com. Make sure to check out our episodes on the feeler and the doer. They are coming your way. And until next week, take care, everybody. Bye for now.